Hello and welcome back to the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation Podcast with Brant Pasalakwa, founder of the Breathing Deeply Yoga Therapy and Meditation School. In this podcast, we answer our students' questions and share information about yoga therapy and meditation with the intention of creating a new paradigm in wellness. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's dive into the show. Today's episode is a recording taken directly from a live Q&A session with Breathing Deeply founder Brant Pasalakwa and students of our Yoga Therapy Foundations program. For our first question, Brant gives advice on what practices to give a 25-year-old male who has a pitta imbalance. It would be appropriate for him to need to be able to, you know, match that in a pitta kind of way. Like assessment aside, like it just age-wise, like, I mean, people are still adolescents, so they're somewhere around there. I don't know what the the consensus is right now, but they used to say until you're 24. So you're, right. you're dealing with a teenager. Patabi Joyce was given that practice when he was a teenager. So Ashtanga is a practice built for a teenage boy. That's why it's okay. so rigid, turn, count. You know what I mean? It's like hard, it's prescriptive, it's highly physical. And then Patabi Joyce just ran with it forever. You know? Yeah. Um, but that's what Krishnamacharya gave him. I think mm-hmm. Patabi Joyce was only with Krishnamacharya. I can't remember how old he was when he left, but he was a teenager. Patabi Joyce, I mean, one way to look at it, it's a little snarky, but is that Patabi Joyce never learned the rest of yoga. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, like, yeah. he was yeah, like yeah, yeah. being taught and then he just was like, this is, and you know, and a lot of people benefit from that kind of practice. So so you could you could start with that as like a sort of map for yourself. So you're not dealing with a fully formed adult. Sounds like he's a little pitta because, I mean, if you want to look at it doshically, right? You've got like this sort of perseveration, sort of obsession with the, you know, he's obsessing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what his circumstances are, but if I was his therapist, but you are not, you might be like, so quit. Like, what are we actually talking about here? You know, you don't like mm-hmm. it. Go do something else. Go work at McDonald's. I mean, I'm sure they'll hire you. Yeah. It's like a 3% unemployment rate or whatever. You know what I mean? It's not like he's, he has to be there. So it's like this sort of, he's caught in this web of his mind. So that's not Vata. That caught in a web of your mind is Pitta. I would say it always presents Vata because you're kind of all over the place. So all that's to say is you got a guy and he wants to do like yoga, yoga, like asana. So do it. Yeah. Do it like Pitta style where give him a hard practice and then slow him down. I can wear anyone out in 15 minutes. Um, so my point is, you know, that's great. I'm saying all this because that's okay. your superpower, right? Yeah. So you get this 25-year-old yeah. guy. Ann and I used to teach the athletes at a college near us. There, They could pick like one of six things as their like uh, intro week to college. Mm. And so we did yoga and the only people that signed up for it were athletes like the football team, the basketball team, you know, all the things. And so I would do some yoga stuff and then I would do some push-ups and then I would get in front of the biggest guy and do push-ups until he failed and I didn't. And I would, you know what I mean? I would do all the, you know, like, and I'm an old man. And all of a sudden they were all listening, mm. right? And tired. And then we would do like really relaxing stuff because the flip is he probably really wants to slow. You're right, but he can't just go there. So it's kind of easy to take that kind of person and go from like, here's some hard asana to here's some like 
body scanning, yoga nidra stuff. And I would probably do it that way. And then in the back of your mind, think that you're gonna teach him breath next. The breath is harder. So Haradasana to lying on your back is like step one. And then step two, here's some moving and breathing after the Haradasana or some pranayama. You sort of work them into like what you're trying to do. Where you've, where you've made a, you haven't made a mistake, but where you're thinking yeah. is wrong is that you can take somebody who's moving fast and make them go slow with yeah. the exercise. Cause there's a point where like, you're just stoking your pitta and you don't learn how to oh. uh, like wind it down. So that's what the yoga practice is for. It's like, here's how we bring it up and match it. And here's how we, you know, bring our nervous system down. And then you have like a wider um, nervous system control situation, right? Like I know right. how to rev up. I know how to, I know how to relax. I mean, I have an I have an eighteen year old son. I mean, he's a pretty enlightened guy for eighteen, even though has a has to meditate and stuff. But he is not good at relaxing. You know, he's eighteen. Like he's just not good at it yet. Yeah. Like, what should I do now? I'm like nothing. It's like ah. How can I apply yoga therapy to children? Uh, I have a few things to say. One, that's a giant question. Two, without the specifics of like any, but yeah, I, I can sort of start you going uh, to, we're actually launching a yoga therapy kids platform. So I've been thinking a lot about children over the last six months. You can work with kids. I think uh, like 13 is a lot different, you know, than nine. I'm going to say some general things about working with children. How's that? For younger children, the protocols are not exactly the same depending on the condition, but they're similar. And then it gets more like working with adults as you get into the tween and teens. So it kind of shifts. So you don't do like a um, dosha diagnosis on a, or assessment on a eight-year-old, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what we think about more is what we know, for instance, like if someone, a kid has ADHD, and well, let's say they have ADHD and you might be like, oh, I know what I should do. I should move them around a lot and um, have them do a lot of cross body stuff because that's good for their brain versus not really versus, but just a different example might be like uh, a kid with a little anxiety disorder where the cross body stuff doesn't matter as much and you might be able to do a lot more slower things, mindfulness, meditation type things. Like we have certain things we know about working with kids in that way. Um, so there's some like kind of universals, if that makes sense. And then there's like the specifics of the condition. Kids are naturally, they're in movement in a different way. And so I think it's better. I think with kids, it is easier for on your part to think of their pathology basically, like what's going on with this kid. So, you know, I think to say like this kid's pit imbalance, that's confusing because they have so much fire anyway, you know, that what is imbalance in a kid is a little hard to understand. Uh -huh. um, unless you see like a large pathology that's like so obviously a pit imbalance, some sort of like massive inflammatory kind of event. What is a therapeutic way to cue pigeon pose? There's a couple of things to say about pigeon. One is it depends on the person, obviously, and their their anatomy. The wider the hips, the less you want that knee towards the middle, like because you're you start mutating the the pelvis. And 
for me, the big thing is like, how flexible do you want to be? Because at, at some point, like you're, you're surpassing the range of motion that's useful. So that's the thing you see a lot in pigeon. That's not great. Um, so but anyway, all that said, the obvious thing is if you bend your knee, right, you can sort of moderate the stretch and your, and your glutes and deep six and all that much easier. So most people should be there. There's not too many instances where you want to drop your body weight on a limb and force it to open. A lot of the instruction has to be more about what it should feel like. And so you have very flexible people, right? That have a straight leg, their forehead hits the floor, but they could do that anyway. And what you want to do is not encourage them to get a deeper stretch. Because at some point, all you're doing is tugging on um, ligaments that aren't supposed to be stretched. Because so if you go far enough, you know, um, and then you have like the other side of the coin, those people are actually easier to deal with. Because as long as you allow them to self-moderate and tell them to get a stretch like in their glute area or side of their hip, right? But that's where the main event should be. What you want to communicate is if you're getting a stretch there, you're lengthening those muscles and it's all going really well. When they look to their left and they see the person flat out on the ground and they think to themselves, I, I'm supposed to be there, but that's not really true. I mean, you asked about pigeon, but just in general, like you're, you're really wanting to know not where you should get to with yoga poses, but like what's supposed to be affected. So yoga is way more useful for inflexible people. Way. Like that's typical. I'm just saying like asana class where you're doing a lot of stretching. Like it's way more effective for like me, <laughs> right? Like in my body probably than, um, you know, like the yoga model types. Because all they're doing is especially women like there's just a lot and pigeons a good example of where you could really like put a lot of pressure on your pelvis in various ways to like separate nutate like you know your si joint like there's so many things that could be going on so one thing you could think about is having the hips square mm -hmm. and then the knee is like sort of you know in front and then if the leg goes out straight and they're square then that front hip right needs to be supported or on the ground so if you have like a in order for it to be even so the way i teach it is to like position your leg and then you have a couple of choices i'm a low props person point is i can position myself in a not very impressive pigeon and i can drop my arms to the ground and stay upright and get the stretch that i need and get a lot of benefit from it and that's what everybody should be doing so so, and if I'm doing that, I can keep my hips square probably without a prop. And then as you come lower and things start moving around, it's like, you really need that prop, especially if you're gonna stay any length of time. So then you need a prop to bring the floor up to that hip. The squareness of the hips is important. Like the longer I do this thing with bodies, you know, the years go by, the less, I really want to be tugging on any structures too much. Like it's just not very beneficial. So, you know, the kind of Iyengar influenced 
yoga that we most people are doing is not ideal for some of these poses. You know, so you could argue that someone that's not very flexible, right, in their hips, there's way better ways to get at those muscles, like on their back, right? The, the, the problem is, is that you encourage people to get more flexible and they do, and you don't see the downside right away. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying people just automatically get hurt or anything, but that like 28 year old who's doing pigeon that way, 15 years later, you know, when they've, when they've like um, stretched their uh, ligaments, you know, a little bit all over their pelvis. And then, you know, that turns into all sorts of things, pelvic floor things, SI things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I always have my eye on the prize, of like, how do you keep people most healthy and how do you get them deep into the pose? Also makes me incredibly boring yoga teacher. I always made up for it with strength maneuvers. You know, so I get people like everybody, if you teach in a studio, right? Like you get people um, who've taken a bunch of yoga and then they take your class. And, you know, I used to get all the like super yogis you know, would come and for a while they're like, oh, this guy's a yoga therapist. So what's he kind of give me that's interesting, I guess. Like what's this guy's deal? Who's also always the only guy, you know, in the studio usually. So like what happens when I go to his class? And then they get a lecture because it's almost all women, not all, but you know, I'd be like, guess what you need to do more of? <laughs> so we're doing like upper body strength and you know, we're doing literally what my women's classes would look like what they do for men's classes. And my men's classes would look like what they do for women's classes. Like tons of range of motion and stretching. I'm like, go lift weights and then come to my class. And we're gonna like, like improve your range of motion, all that. And the women's classes, I'm like, we're gonna make you way stronger, you know? And we're gonna make sure we're gonna do a lot of like super powerful closed hip stuff. And we're gonna make sure that everybody's pelvis that is designed to come apart for giving birth does not come apart at any other time. (laughs) I used to say things like that. What is the yoga therapy protocol for working with osteoporosis? But basically we use, it's based on Dr. Fishman's work. So you can, he has a book. You have to hold the poses. It's not till, I have to look it up. I always forget this number, but somewhere at 30 or 40 seconds of, of a pose is where the bones start getting the input they need. So that's the main thing you need to know. So if you knew nothing else, um, and forgetting contraindications for a minute, because that's where it gets complicated depending on how weak someone's bones are. But let's say you have someone with osteopenia and you want them not to get osteoporosis. Um, you want to work them towards minute long holds of a whole bunch of different poses because what happens is um, he studied this and what happens is people can reverse their numbers. You can imagine though, right? moving and breathing, vinyasa, right? You can imagine even somebody in a really hard vinyasa class, never holding poses that long. And what happens is you get all these other effects, but your bones do not grow. Like you don't get bone stimulation. So 
the protocols usually look like 15 poses or whatever, and there'll be like a bunch of standing poses, downward facing dog, you know, stuff. but stuff where you're putting pressure in different ways, right, on the skeleton and holding them. So that's your like two second answer of how to work with it. But if just knowing that, right, you can go really far because just to start, because otherwise you might be like, no, it's fine, you know, especially if you have someone who's like not in super awesome shape, and you're trying to be accommodating, of course, you have to work them towards that, but they need to know how important it is that they move towards, you know, when I see those numbers along, it's like at least 45 seconds, right, of hold. So you slowly progress people towards these static practices with poses. And it's a really good example of a yoga therapy application, right? Like, and then the next person comes in with an anxiety disorder and it's all moving and breathing, right? <laughs> it's just completely different. And people have devised different sequences. He has his, I mean, honestly, my read on it is if you work your way around the body, it probably doesn't matter that much. Um, he's into certain poses. I mean, there's definitely specific things you can discuss, like gotta be really careful with the wrists. You know, somebody has osteoporosis, you, you know, these smaller joints where you can hurt them easily. So then the question is, how do I get pressure in there without hurting them? So, you know, an example of modifying would be like having someone do like down dog at the wall, right? Getting a little bit of pressure in there and like slowly moving. Um, you know, the other challenge is that you don't really know what's happening. So you, you got to kind of be careful have them hold these poses let's say they're holding them a minute and then you wait for their next test and you know a good result is it doesn't get worse like that's the one thing that you know if they come back they're like it didn't work i'm exactly the same you're like no that's actually really good it's not getting worse um and a great result is it reversing so i've seen cases where people totally reverse stuff and other people who just sort of status quo, but status quo is not so bad. How do I approach conditions I don't know much about? So in the advanced program, so the, the foundations is like, here's some foundational material of like how a yoga therapist thinks, right? And then in the advanced program, it's, um, it's like, okay, today we're talking about autoimmune diseases. Here's a slideshow on Western, Western slides, very first thing, right? Here's the Western, here's everything you need to know, not everything, but like, here's a whole bunch of autoimmune diseases, here's drugs people take, here's how they're diagnosed, here's, um, but of course you can't do that for every condition, right? There's so many conditions. So um, as a yoga therapist, your big things are, what are the symptoms of this disease? What is contraindicated in general? This is what I do. So those two things, and then, what do other people do that standard cares? What's the standard of care? You know, what does a physical therapist do for this condition? What does a mental health professional do for this condition? So when we talk about mental health conditions, you know, we don't talk a lot about it, but you know, you're still like, someone's gonna go to therapy and they're gonna get cognitive behavioral therapy. What is that? Why would anyone do that? You know, as opposed to, I don't know, hypnosis or, you know, you could do you could do a variety of things, right? But what what are people generally going to be experiencing with this condition? Or they have cancer? Like, what are the drugs and the side effects? Like, that's the yoga therapist's job. You don't have to know, you know, really, you don't have to know anything as long as you're willing to go find out. 
because you're not really charged with understanding every pathology. Like our, our scope is too wide. And then the other thing you do is you get on a Q&A right away and say, Brett, do you have any idea, anything about this? And I'll either tell you or I will find somebody that knows and then tell you. So that's why we leave everything open forever. And sometimes you get lucky and someone else on the Q&A is like, actually, I'm an oncology nurse and you know, here's what you need to know. As a yoga therapist, you shouldn't be going and being like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like I worked with so many conditions that I'd never heard of, especially once it got out that I did autoimmune diseases, it got a little crazy. You know, people are just coming in with like autoimmune diseases, like most doctors have never heard of. I mean, like what you got for me, right? So that's what I started doing. I started looking things up, talking to people, like seeing how much information I could get, you know, and most of it to make sure that I'm not hurting someone. And then sort of secondarily, like I'm not replicating treatment. And that's easy to do as a yoga therapist because you're like, I've got an idea. Wouldn't it be cool if I did this cool breathing thing? And then you find out they have like a breathing therapist who has special machines and it's just kicking your butt, you know? <laughs> like, why did I just, you know, and you know, you're likely, I don't know, not always, but if you're private pay, et cetera, they're traveling to you, they're giving you money and you just want everything to be really worth their time, you know, and resources, you know, because they're limited. So, you know, I often do a lot of that work ahead of time ask them a bunch of questions. And I'm like, okay, here's where I think I fit in. You know, here's what I can offer that probably no one else is going to offer you. And here's why it may work, you know? So some, you know, there's there's the kind of things we're talking about now, example of that, but then there's also um, working on a completely different level, like working on an energetic level, like a pranic level, or, you know, using meditation techniques to reduce pain, or these are things that, no one else is going to really offer them. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. Please subscribe, rate and review our show and help us share yoga therapy with more people around the world. If you think this episode will help someone you know, feel free to share it with them. If you love yoga therapy and meditation, you can follow us over on Instagram at Breathing Deeply Yoga, where we share anything and everything to help you advance your understanding of yoga therapy and meditation. For more information about our yoga therapy and meditation trainings and programs, visit breathingdeeply.com. See you in the next episode.